So we are in a series of messages right now that is exploring the idea of the fact that we are created in the image of God, that each of us is a masterpiece, a work of art, so to speak, uh, by the hand of God as he shapes us and fashions us into the men and women that he created us to be. And we've looked at what it means to, to be created in the image of God. We've looked at what it means to be uh, a masculine image bearer and a feminine image bearer. And we, are, we started last week into uh, the teachings of Jesus in, that are found in Matthew, beginning in chapter 5, uh, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to continue that study through the Sermon on the Mount because I, I feel like this is a place where the rubber really meets the road in terms of bearing the image of God. What does it mean to, to show the world who Jesus is through the way we live? And there are some very powerful and difficult verses in this passage. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. And I'm going to unpack them. I'm going to deal with them. And we're going we're gonna to bring God's word and God's grace to, to bear on, God's grace to bear on his word, whatever I'm trying to say. I think you get the idea. But you're, you're going to have some pretty intense portions of this passage that are intentionally, Jesus is Jesus teaching, and they are intentionally worded to sting. And so when you feel that sting, do not feel like I'm singling you out. Feel like Jesus is talking to all of us as equals, and that we'll, we'll talk about the purpose behind that sting. But, but this morning, I'm taking this idea of masterpiece, of creating a masterpiece, and we're going to look at it through the lens of making gemstones. We're going to look at that process just a little bit, and then I have a, uh, a video that I'll show you at the end that I think will kind of sum it all up pretty well. But um, let's do some reading. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 17. We covered uh, verses 17 through 20 at the end of last week's message, but they're so important as setting the tone for what we're about to read. I wanted to revisit them, kind of start there, and then flow through the remainder of this chapter. So it's a long passage. Bear with me, but uh, we'll, we'll try to make some sense out of it. So here we go, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, 
and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, you, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You Therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The quest for perfection. We are particularly obsessed with this as Americans um, in a variety of ways. And I want to just talk this morning about the process or just a little bit of the process that goes into making a gemstone. Uh, Sean, can you show me that picture of the amethyst, please? Can you put that up for me? Um, okay. So this, this was a, a photo that I found online and it was, it was put up by a, 
a dude that cuts gemstones. I don't know what you call him, a lapidary or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, and he did this as a sort of an example. If you're looking for something that looks like that gem at the bottom of the screen, you have to start with a piece of rock that's about the size of the one next to it. Most gems from most precious stones, to get what you see on a ring or set in jewelry, uh, that's usually anywhere from 10 to 25% of the whole rough rock that they started with. And these, these people are trained, when they see a big chunk like that, to look for that sweet spot in the middle of it that holds flawless construction of the crystal formation. Uh, Throughout that mass, there are fractures, there are clouds, there are inclusions, there are all kinds of things that will detract from the beauty of that stone, of that pure crystal formation that's in there somewhere. And So you have to be trained to sort of not only see what is worth saving, but to cut away in such a way that what is left is reflective of light. It just makes light explode. And that has to do with the way you facet a stone, the angles at which those cuts are made around the crown. And so this is the idea, and we can, we can go back out of this and all, but this is, this, is, this is what God is doing with us. He is, he is cleaving away the rough spots. He's taking out the impurities. He's trying to find that which is precious and reveal it. And I would argue that, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, the gemstone, but it's a pretty good one. There's a lo- he's got a lot of work to do, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so if we are going to be shaped by God into the men and women he's created us to be, I think one of the things that Jesus is doing in this passage is he's, he's telling us that we need to begin by giving God our imperfections. This passage is brutal. And, you know, if, if someone ever tells you that you can only take the Bible literally, challenge them on Matthew chapter 5 about the, the cutting off the hand and plucking out your eye. No one's ever taken that literally, right? No one. Um, it's, it's not about taking these verses in some literal way. It's about taking them seriously. What is Jesus trying to say? What's he trying to do to our hearts? What is he trying to cleave away to get down to what is precious in us, to reveal that which is reflective of his glory? And so we begin that process by giving God our imperfections. No one can make it through that passage without realizing something. There's a common universal outcome when, we, when any of us read the passage we just read. Do you remember the first line of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you can make it through that chapter, 
without coming to a point of realizing the poverty of your own spirituality, you're not reading it very well. I think what Jesus is trying to do is force us into a position where we have to say, okay, I need help. I, I need, I have a lot that needs to be hammered away at in my life, chipped away, taken away. And he is ready to take that. He's, he's in fact inviting us to give him those imperfections. He he makes an awful deal on the cross, quite actually. He, he says, okay, here's the deal. You give me your sin. I'll die to give you my righteousness. What does he gain? He's a terrible negotiator. Trump would hate this guy. Um, what he gains is the, is the product of his love the object of his love, you. He gains you. He, he, re, he recovers, he restores, he brings out what is precious to him, which is your heart. Okay, so you and I come to him in the rough. What we present to God in the uh, exchange is, is it's pretty rough. It's not... It's not God looking down and going, you know, she's really close. I just got a couple of little things to knock off of there, and she's good to go. We're that big cluster of confusing, uh, messed up, cloudy rock that somebody has to look through and past to see what's worth saving. And so there we are. We come to him in the rough. We're, you're going to have to let him do some work. He's, he's got some work to do with each of us. And I believe, if, if I can take this portion of Matthew as a whole, the idea is he wants all of us to realize that, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We all need some things cut away. You know, up to 90%. Um. That's, I need, I need 100% cut away, but I think he can make some, like, sanding dust out of me when he's done. There's some value in there somewhere, you know, in a grinding stone or something. But if we're going to let him cut things away, the things that, that are our impurities, we need to trust him to find what is of value to bring it out and to shape us in such a way that we reflect the light of his love and glory to the world. Your heart is what he's after. It's what he's trying to get to. And if I can put it this way, I think part of what the reason that Jesus says what he says in this passage, you've got to think about it this way. He's talking to people who think that they've got the religious game figured out. That they've followed all the laws in such a way that they stand in a place of their own righteousness before God. Which is a joke. But 
this is the crowd that he was speaking to. And they'd been striving their whole entire lives to, to get themselves to the point where they could stand there and say, yes, I am righteous enough to be part of God's family. And Jesus is like, oy vey, no, you're not. You don't get it. And so he unrolls and unpacks most of the Ten Commandments, most of the human side of the Ten Commandments, in such a way that no one gets off the hook. Um, let, me, let me try to, well, I'm going I'm to come to the, I'll come back to that in a second. But for now, God is taking away what is necessary to reveal that which is precious. Give him your imperfections. And then let his grace shine through you. That's what we're trying to get to, is, is when he begins to, to cut away that which is not worth saving, he reveals that which is precious and beautiful. We want to let God bring out the best in us. This is a call to rest in Christ's work. Let me take you back to verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You and I are called to rest in the work of Christ. Think about this. He's speaking to a group of people who are all trying, striving to fulfill God's law and please the righteous requirements of the law through the way they live. And he, and he says to them, before he begins into this more pointed dialogue, uh, he says, I have fulfilled the law. I've done what you're trying to do. I, I've that I've got this. And then he basically rolls into the proof that none of us do have it, that none of us have accomplished that level of perfect righteousness, and which is the standard. And so Jesus is essentially saying, if you want perfect righteousness, there's only one person through whom you can access it, and it's not you. It's me. I will do this in such a way that when I'm done, you will be forgiven and cleansed and renewed. And so, we're to rest in the work of Christ. We're to seek his purity in our lives. I want to go back to uh, these verses in the middle of this passage, uh, verses 27 through 32, where he talks about divorce. And I think this will be helpful. These are extremely pointed words. Let's put it that way. And I think, unfortunately, for the most part, throughout the church's history, the interpretation of this portion of, of Matthew is basically 
if you are divorced, you are thrown onto the trash heap of the church. If you've been divorced, you're out. You're, you're washed out. You've, you're no good. You're not holy. You're done. I think that's it's a fair summary of most of church history on this subject. Let's look exactly at what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to set up, by going to one of the Ten Commandments, the idea of purity. Marriage is intended to be a reflection of the Trinity. One of the themes of this series is that the physical is a representation of the spiritual, that the one interprets the other, that the one represents the other. So a husband and a wife and their creator, three beings in harmony and relationship with each other, all rooted in love, that's that's the, the image that God is trying to evoke through marriage. That we come together in this way, and when the Trinity, ex- well, the, not when the Trinity, the Trinity always exists, but as the Trinity exists eternally in three persons relating to each other in harmony and love, we are called to reflect that aspect of God's nature through marriage. And Jesus is saying, none of us will do this well. And when he says, when he says, this is a, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Here's what his point is. He has people standing there in his presence who are Pharisees, most likely, who have gotten divorced according to the law, and they think that they're in good standing as representations of God's image. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The the standard is perfection. The standard is perfection. And if you think that you can just follow the law and get divorced and be a perfect reflection of God's image, you're wrong. Not a, mar- a married person can't even do that. And so what he's actually saying is to these people, if you think that you're okay, you're not. And here's why. If, if, you, if you are divorced and it was done legally and righteously, so to speak, um, you still have the problem that your first marriage is not a perfect reflection of the Trinity. And when you divorced her, you put her in that position of violating the purity reflection of the marriage. Does that make sense? He's not saying, he's not saying, um, (laughs) it's hard to explain. He's not saying that the woman needs to be thrown on the trash heap. He's saying to the men who think they're righteous in this crowd, he's saying, listen, you, you caused her. If she already committed adultery, you didn't cause that. Right? You didn't cause her to violate the purity call in her marriage if she, if she did that on her own. But if, you, if she didn't, if you divorced her for some other reason, you are guilty. Not her, you. You're causing this. You're behind this. You violated the purity of that covenant. 
can we just back up a few verses? And um, how do I say this? None of us, at least not the men, are off the hook. It does not matter how happily and long married you are, how well your marriage reflects the purity of the Trinity. Um, there's yoga pants out there. Is that, can I say that? We are going to sin. Our minds are corrupted by sin. We are sick. We are broken. We are not going to make it through this life perfectly reflecting the nature of God. None of us are. He's speaking to the self-righteous to say to us where we think we are okay, we are broken. And we are in deep need of grace. And we, we can talk about divorce another time, but I'll just, I just want to say this is not the text to, to prove from on the, what is the, ground, the, the basis for divorce. He's only talking to people who have given their wives certificates of divorce and who think that because they did it legally, they're, they're representing and reflecting the nature of God well. And he's saying, you're whacked. You're crazy. None of us can do that. You are not doing it. You think you're doing it. You're crazy. And so he continues, and we are left with this call to purity that we cannot fulfill. We have to rest in Christ's work and we have to grow in Christ's likeness. We have to grow toward who God wants us to be. It is a process of cleaving away the impurities, of destroying most of that rough stone in order to reveal what God wants the world to see, which is a reflection of him. He is going somewhere with you, and he's not going to be done with you anytime soon. I hope you hear me loud and clear. It, it doesn't matter in terms of where you stand with Christ. It doesn't matter whether you've been divorced or your kid is out of control or your life is out of control or your marriage is a horrible reflection of that purity and balance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're all in the same boat. We're all hurting, we're all broken, and we have a great deal of impurity that needs to be chipped away at. So, when Kathy and I lived in St. Louis, um, we went to this terrible little church. Um, 
it was one of the greatest little church families I've ever been a part of until we got here. Um, but it was one of those churches, if you brought a friend, you were, you were going to be embarrassed at some point in the service. And the bulletin was copied on this dinosaur Xerox machine that somebody had donated to the church. And there was all the, you know, it, it was never straight. There was all these smears all over it, typos on every page. Um, and then the lovely, the lovely people who would put the, uh, the, you know, the transparencies on that old projector, and they'd usually go on, like, in the rearview mirror first. They'd go on backwards and whatever, upside down, and you'd be like, whoa, okay, okay. Um, it, was, it was just awesome to be a part of a family of people uh, where none of that really mattered. I mean, it mattered, but it didn't, we got past it. But there was this one family that they had like five kids or something, and the husband is an artist. He, he's, and he's literally crazy. And I would be worried about him, like listening to this message and hearing me say that, except for two things. He would agree with me, and plus, he's too ADHD to get this far in the tape, right? He would never make it to here. The guy, is, he's absolutely insane. He's off the wall. Um, and he came to San Antonio a few years ago. He called me up. He's like, hey, I'm coming to San Antonio. Can I stay with you? I'm like, sure, yeah, come on. He gets here. I'm like, what, what are you doing in town? He's like, well, we're, we're entering a film festival, a Christian film festival. I said, great. Um, you know, what's, what what'd you do? It's like, well, I, we did, we, this, this kid wanted to do this, this short film, and he, he did one of me doing my thing, and we're going to show it at the film festival. I was like, okay, great. I, so he, <laughs> Russell is nuts. He's crazy. And the piece that you're about to see him create, he uses, like, torn pieces of cloth and paper and a ton of, like, acrylic glue or something. I think it's just glue. I think it's like a dries clear or something. I don't really know. Whatever. Um, and then you'll see what he brings out of this thing. But it's just the perfect metaphor for what God's trying to do with us. So I think Russell has already preached this sermon better than I can, so I'm going to let him do his thing. I did cut it down a little bit. It's like seven and a half minutes long. We were only getting about six, a little over six minutes or just under six minutes. But I think you'll see, and I just want you to know before you watch this, this guy is legit crazy in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. He's, he's just got that artistic whatever you call it. So, uh, gentlemen, if you'll get us going. separate and specific chemical entity, utterly unique. There are three essential characteristics intrinsic to every true gemstone. Beauty, durability, and rarity. There are many minerals bearing similarities to gems, but lacking those qualities, 
mined by the tons and removed by the truckload. With the prevalence of such materials in the marketplace and the growing popularity of synthetic gems, authentic gemstones have never been more rare. Sometimes, doubts come to mind. During these lonely passages, did anyone think of me? Bearing this grinding self-betrayal, frictions between liberties and bondage, longing and consumption, the high ground and despair. If the stone is cut by the skilled hand of the master lapidary, it will possess enduring value and brilliance, no matter what its final shape. A fellow sojourner once received, My grace is sufficient for you. But this is a long journey. And the present silence, well, it hurts like separation. It can be assumed that the way a stone is cut will make the difference between a lifeless stone and a stone of brilliance, of beauty, and the rarest of qualities, unique personality. I know, I know what is true, but sometimes knowing is fragile. And the question, that terrible question, bears upon me like a great tension between knowing and wonder. You know, if he thinks of me still as precious. The master lapidary is an artist skilled in the use of sophisticated tools and instruments and the manipulation of exotic materials. He is a technician, disciplined in the study of natural laws and scientific process. The experienced lapidary will 
readily sacrifice size or carat weight to this end. A 75% loss in original mass of the rough cut stone in the process of crafting a gemstone. There can be no scratches with a width exceeding one quarter of the width of a single wave length of white light. Such a standard is impossible save for the master. And I, I asked him, I'm like, do you just, did you just feel like a boss taking a power tool to your artwork? He's like, no, I was just kind of hoping it would work. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to just say to you that God knows what he's doing. And he sees, he sees past all of those impurities and inclusions and uh, all that's in the way. He, he knows where he's going with you. And he is trying to shape us into people who will brilliantly reflect his, his love, his grace, his glory to the world. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law. And we give you all of the impurities of our hearts that you might chip them away and reveal that within us which is redeemed and beautiful and precious in your sight. Help us, Father, as we wander through this thing called growth toward becoming the people that you've created us to be. Give us your strength, the presence of your Holy Spirit, the power of your saving grace, that we might lift our heads and know that you are going somewhere with each one of us, somewhere beautiful, somewhere powerful, somewhere good, that we might reflect who you are to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.